Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the U-Turn Podcast, here for you every single week to help upgrade your confidence and elevate your work and love life. I'm your host, Ashley Stahl. Perhaps you know me as a former counterterrorism professional at the Pentagon, a life coach, a Forbes columnist, or the founder of Cake Publishing Ghostwriting House. We've got four free e-courses for you on U-TurnPodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com. So head on over there if you want to grab one of those to land a new job you love, find your purpose in the workforce, launch your dream business, or get more connected in your romantic relationships. And now let's get started with this week's guest. This episode is brought to you by Cake Publishing, Ghostwriting, Publicity, and Copywriting House, there to help influencers and entrepreneurs get their voice out there in a much bigger way. If you're ready to make a bigger impact, head on over to cakepublishing.com. That's C-A-K-E publishing.com. Hello, friends. It's Ash, and I'm here with Sam Skelly, who happens to be one of my friends, and I'm going to try my hardest not to call her Sam Smelly throughout this entire episode. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Skelly is the founder of Hungry for Happiness. She has a podcast. She's also the founder of Pause Breathwork, which I'm so excited to get into, but her mission is to help the world stop using food as a drug and to really reconnect to their bodies, their souls in their hearts. And so I thought this episode would be really incredible to talk about how to overcome emotional eating. Um, I think I've definitely been there before. And those of you who follow me on Instagram have seen me with my snacksidents, which is really just emotional eating all over Instagram. <laughs> Sam, welcome. Thanks for being with me, girl. I love you so much. It hurts me. It hurts me how much I love you. Oh my God. It hurts me that we're not hanging out right now. Like, for those of you listening, yeah. it's like I haven't seen Sam in like a month or two, and we're podcasting. But really, I just want to like go to the mall, get our nails done, and like braid each other's hair right now, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and tickle each other's backs. Do you used to do that with your girlfriends? Like tickle my back? Oh, I do that with Libby Crow all the time. Her she has oh. special nails. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Libby Crow. <laughs> I do too. Well, so tell me a little bit about what what got you into this place. Like I know that your story could be. So deep, but just to brief everyone on you who's listening. Yeah, girl. Well, the short of the long is, uh, so when I was younger, I was a child actress and a dancer. I I worked for a, cl- a show called Smallville as a stunt double, and I was, that was my past. Like, I just absolutely was so dedicated to becoming an actress and a dancer. Mm. And around 18, I was like, you know what? There's more to life than this. Like, I was sick of the grind. I was sick of constantly auditioning and performing and having to be a certain way. And and because of the intensity of how my body needed to be or how I told myself my body needed to be, I developed patterns of restriction. So at 18 years old, I was like, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start dieting. And so from there. I was on over 50 diets in less than four years, and it was just this this constant battle to um, try and just manipulate my body image because I was just terrified of getting fat. At that point, I I stopped dancing, so I was like, well, if I'm not training six hours a day, then I'm just you know, going to sort of balloon up. And so I, I, I started my first diet, which was, I don't know if anyone has heard of this, but it's Friggin' crazy, which is a cabbage soup diet. What? You basically, you basically just eat shitloads of cabbage soup, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that's all you eat. And so 
I was in Australia. I at the time I was traveling and I, I that was like the first sort of diet I went on and and from there I just got into this like addiction to dieting where I couldn't just listen to my body. I didn't know how to listen to my body. Um, I ended up in the hospital uh, for being malnourished because all I was eating was fucking cabbage. Holy and shit. so I, I, it was, it was just, it was, it was constant and I was feeling disconnected from my body. And so fast forward, that was four years of that, like in and out of the hospital, really unhealthy relationship to my body at the time. At the end of this four years, I was living in England. I had fallen in love with a boy who was British, so I moved to England, and I was a personal trainer. And as you can imagine, like there's, I was trying to help people be happy and healthy, and, and I was like severely struggling with with my relationship to food and my body. So, I ended up moving back to Canada, and I just asked myself, I'm like, what is underneath all of this? Like, where are all these behaviors coming from? This is not normal like I the fact that I can't eat like a normal person is an issue and I need to address that and so I spent about three years of my life just sort of digging into this part of me and um, going to like therapy and doing all like every modality of healing you can possibly imagine from you know traditional therapy to counseling to energy healing to um, Reiki to the whole bit (laughs) and when I finished that I could really feel the contrast between how much pain I was in previously and how I was in a place where I could actually feel my emotionality. I could actually feel connected to my body and I could use food as it was intended for, for health and, and hunger and obviously pleasure when I, when I, when I choose to, but not out of, not out of wanting to numb my emotions, but just out of enjoyment. And so then I, I, I just thought I want to, I want to change the world with this. So I, I started, I started hungry for happiness and five years later, here we are. Here we are. Just we're about to dive into my snacksidents and everybody else who's having them and eating <laughs> things to numb themselves. So, oh my God, uh, you know that's so funny, Sam. Because you know, being friends, it's like you never really hear people's story about how they got into their business because we're too busy yeah. talking about day to day life. So it's kind of fun that I just got to hear that. Slash, yeah. I had no idea that you had anything to do with the show Smallville. So that's that's a new oh, that's news. Funny, yeah. <laughs> learning more about you we're too busy talking about boys hey i know we literally are um (laughs) and and so i feel like um i know that you're diving into breath work and you have your podcast about emotional eating Uh, but before we even dive into that i think a lot of people have interesting habits with food including myself and we might not even realize that we're emotionally eating so how do you figure out if that is an issue for you? Because I think a lot of people listening, maybe you're at work and you just grab something for comfort. Like sometimes it's hard to tell if, if you're turning to food for comfort and for emotionality right. or not. So how totally. do we do this? Totally. It, it's so simple. Ash, it's so simple. It's intentionality behind consumption. So what is the intention behind why you're consuming? Why are you putting that, that, that piece of food in your mouth? Like there's no good foods and bad foods. There's like, I'm not a calorie counter. I'm not a like, Oh, cookies are bad. And broccoli is good. Like it, it's, it's just not a thing in my philosophy, but what it, what is a thing is what is the intention behind it? So if the intention behind it is I want to nourish my body, I'm hungry. I, I want to enjoy this. I want to, I want to truly like have this piece of chocolate. Cause it's going to, it's going to taste so good. And it, it, 
feels really nice to have it. That's all beautiful and coming from a place of like love and presence versus I'm going to numb out, check out and use this food to numb my emotions because I don't know how to handle my emotions or I don't have the tools to handle my emotions or my emotions feel overwhelming. And so when we're in that spot of using food as a drug, that's an issue. But when we are eating for health and hunger and enjoyment, that's not an issue. And here's the thing. In order to eat from a place of love and intent, we have to be present and connected to our bodies. When we're not present and connected to our bodies, we're up in our heads and the tendency to numb increases dramatically. And so it truly is just a conversation and like taking a breath and taking a beat and asking ourselves, why am I putting this in my mouth right now? Am I bored? Am I distracted? Am I trying to numb? Or am I truly hungry and I want to nourish my body? And when we can filter what we consume based on that simple principle, the answers are going to come super clear to us. So getting just clear right before you eat, what, where is it coming from? Am I hungry? Does this feel nourishing? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's really, I think, insidious to figure out when you're numbing. And one question I have about this is, for example, my dad. That guy always has a stomach uh-huh. ache. He always doesn't feel well. He eats foods that make him sick. And I, I mean, it's an obvious form of numbing, uh-huh. I'm guessing. But I think a lot of people, you know, like, for example, lactose intolerance. I'm lactose intolerant. But every now and again, I'll be like, fuck it. I'm having this uh-huh. ice cream cone and I know I'm going to be sick. So what do you have to say about people who are always right, not right. feeling well because of food and they know they don't feel well because of the food? Right. Okay. So I love this question. This is such a good question. Here's the thing, right? Like when we look at like the purpose of food and what it's doing for us, it's to nourish ourselves so that we have a better life experience, right? Like the whole purpose is like nourishment for vitality and energy. When we have high standards and we, and our level of self love is high, like, I don't want to eat shit that I know is going to make me feel bad. It's just, it's just really simple and black and white. Like, I don't want to do that. But when I'm feeling down on myself, when I've, you know, had a bad day and I'm just like, screw it, I don't care, I, I lower my standards of what's acceptable and then I'm more susceptible to have those foods that make me feel like crap. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I, I will still do that if I'm, if I, if I'm in a space where I'm like, I feel bad about myself or, or I'm going to chew, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and, you know, I'm, I'm human, of course. And then I'm like, wait a second, no, what's going on internally that is allowing me to do this and let's address that so I can get back up to my standard, which is I want to nourish my body to feel good so I can have energy so I can do the things that I want. And so it really comes down to choice and that per- that individual's level of like what is their standard and how do they want to feel. So then, you know, let's, let's say right now, because I know there's a lot of people listening. Let's say the girl who's listening right now, you know who you are if this is you, where on your lunch break, you just want some comfort food. You just want some nachos. You just want some, and that's kind of a, a habit and a pattern. Yeah, um, yeah. And she knows when she's about to order it that it's not going to really make her feel good. She mm-hmm. might be in a bit of a food coma for the afternoon. By the way, this girl has been me plenty of times. Mm-hmm. What's going on there, Sam? Like from a bird's eye view, like what would you be seeing on that? It, what, would I, what I would be seeing or what I would advise this individual to do is just ask themselves, what am I really hungry for? What is the, what am I, what need am I trying to meet? Right. So often we struggle, you know, as women and and men as well, is we struggle with truly feeling safe in our bodies. And so comfort food in the form of chips, pizza, whatever it is, gives us that false sense of comfort in our bodies, that, that sense of, okay, I'm just going to soothe this right now. And so 
what we're looking for when our safety is compromised or we're, we're feeling insecure is, is soothing. Now, what we've been conditioned to do through food is externally soothe. And, and, and not just through food, but other things as well, right? Like look at social media or alcohol or drugs or relationships or spending money. It's this, it's this very quick fix soothing mechanism. It's a vice which gets us out of that state of feeling unsafe or insecure or not confident or whatever it is, but it's such a short-term effect. And so in order for us to effectively and sustainably transform this pattern of always going to food to to self-soothe, we have to ask ourselves, how can I self-soothe? What can I do? What is that? What is that emotionality? What is that need that I need? And for me personally, when I was going through this, because this is this was a huge one for me. It was like I don't feel safe. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel confident. I don't feel enough. And in order for me to to not feel that sensation in my body of not feeling enough, I would use food to numb it. And so I I had to get like super super clear about like okay, I don't feel safe. Why not? Where does that come from? And and for me, it was it was this feeling of like being disconnected from my body, not loving myself, not acknowledging my inner child, not being embodied, and I was constantly living from a place of fear and living up in my head. And so the integration back into my body allowed me to feel safety, to feel love, to feel contentment, to feel peace. Therefore, the external soother didn't need to be be present anymore. And so. This is such a common one, right? But when we don't take the time to acknowledge that this is going on at a deeper level, we will create stories and say, like, I just have no willpower or just this one time or diet this Monday or why can't I ever do this? And we start berating ourselves and hating ourselves and shaming ourselves for, for, for overeating. And obviously the, the impact of, of overeating is is obviously weight gain which is you know un, unwanted weight gain and so that has an impact on on the on our self-esteem the way we feel about ourselves as well so it truly does become this vicious cycle of consuming the food numbing our emotions and then trying to you know restrict after and then binge and then restrict because we are also gaining weight in the process of it so all of that to say, identifying what is that emotional need, like what are we actually hungry for, and and really taking the time and asking ourselves that what is what is really going on, what is that sensation that is screaming at me to numb it. Mm, and I think that this even can go deeper because the next question is, let's say that you're on your lunch break and you kind of know that those nachos are going to make you feel kind of nauseous or they're not going to prep you to handle your afternoon the best way possible is, okay, if I'm craving comfort, maybe that's what's, you know, making you want to have that kind of food. For me, I freaking love shitty food. So I'm like an expert on this personally. But then the next question being, how can I create comfort in my life for myself right now? beyond these chips and this, these nachos that are going to make my body hurt. Because I think that what you yeah. create, um, you know, you can create more of. So it's like, okay, I want comfort. What's this really about? It's about comfort. So how do I access that in other areas? Well, I get a lot of comfort from my meditation class, or I get a lot of comfort from seeing my friends. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. Yeah. Um, also, Sam, like, you know, 
For me personally, I, I love food and I grew up in Los Angeles and I'm one of very few of my friends who did not get an eating disorder. Um, but even in college, I gained the freshman, I gained, I went way past the 15. If it was a sprint, like I won, like I got the freshman 30. And it took me two years to lose the weight because I couldn't justify really cutting my diet that much and because I just love food. And so I'm so curious um, when it comes to overcoming emotional eating and shifting these patterns, you had said that the first point you had when it comes to how to overcome emotional eating is changing your relationship with pain. So I think we've kind of tipped into this, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you think about that. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting conversation, and I think with with all of my clients and and all the work that I do in in the various modalities that I do it, I think that the thing that really shifts the needle more than any other concept that I work on and help people with is is this fundamental principle of we are so as a society collectively as a human as human beings we are so conditioned to get rid of pain to suppress it to ignore it to not acknowledge it all of those things we're so conditioned to do that like think about when you were six years old and you're riding your your bike down down the road or whatever and you, you fall and you scrape your knee and you run inside like your mom right away way of like oh no like clean it up put a banding on it like get it like get rid of the pain right or if you're crying your dad will be like stop crying you know like that's the worst thing we could possibly say to a kid but when we're younger we have this idea that it's not okay to emote and it's not okay to feel our pain and it's not okay to express our emotionality and so we repress it and suppress it and we hide it and we 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 create stories around why we can't feel it and so the second it comes up our defense, our subconscious defense, defensive mechanisms already go into this this pattern of we need to get rid of that. And the way that we quote unquote get rid of that is through these vices that I talk about: food, alcohol, drugs, sex, social media, relationships, spending money, all those sorts of things. But when we can change the relationship and rather than suppress the pain, we go, what is this pain here to teach me? And we fully feel it. That's when we're going to feel liberated from it. Mm. So often clients will be like, Sam, I literally can't stop crying since I've worked with you. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you have to process all this emotion that's right under the surface. Like there's so much emotionality that we hold right under the surface and it just takes us us to acknowledge it every single time we resist an emotion it persists Eckhart Tolle says this right what we resist persists it's such a simple and brilliant line with so much truth what we resist persists and it's so true and unless we actively take the time and we actively learn that I can feel this and I can move through this and this will eventually dissipate unless we do that it is we're going to hold on that pain for our entire lives. Like we see people who have so much emotional pain, so much physical pain that, you know, their, their whole lives, they've, they've done such a good job at, at suppressing that pain for so long that it, it's coming out in very physical ways, right? So first, like, so there's three sort of like sensations that we talk about, right? So we have emotional or we have intuitive. When we ignore our intuitive um, calls, it then goes to emotional. And then when we ignore our emotional calls, then it goes to physical. And Give so me an example. When, I want to hear how this looks. Like, okay. what would yeah, be an intuitive so, so, call that somebody is ignoring right now? 
Let's break this down. So you know, you know when 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 uh, people are like, "Oh my God, I I I knew I should have done that." Right? Yeah. It's like that feeling of like, I, "I knew I should have followed my intuition. My intuition was totally right." And and we ignore that call. Well, when we ignore that intuitive call and we choose against our intuition, it has an activation on our emotional landscape. So we immediately feel some sort of emotional pain, right? And then when we feel the emotional pain, we get our defensive mechanisms that get activated that say, you shouldn't feel that emotional pain. So we suppress it and we suppress it and we suppress it. And then the byproduct of suppressed emotionality is obviously um, ailment in our in our physicality, right? So then we'll have like back pain and headaches and, and diseases and we'll develop intolerances and we'll develop all these things on our physical landscape because we initially ignored the intuitive hit of what we should do and where we should go. Mm. The problem is, is we have highly activated minds and underactivated intuitions. And so in order to achieve true transformation and healing, it's like, we need to flip that on its head. We need to have a highly overactive intuition and our minds need to shut the F up because our minds are the ones that are just constantly like operating from fear and telling us to, to, to do things that aren't in alignment. Mm. Yeah, you know what this is making me think about is, um, you know, last time I saw you, we went hiking and I talked about that guy that I was in love with and that things ended with him months and months ago. Well, I mean, I heard from him recently, so that was kind of intense for me, but um, it reminds me of this, but it's kind of different because intuitively I knew it was right to part ways with him and I honored that and I stepped up for that. And, but emotionally it was still extraordinary pain to accept the truth. And so I totally could see how somebody intuitively got a message inside of themselves. What, maybe it's about their job. The intuition is like, this isn't the job for you. You need, it, you need to leave. They don't listen to that. I could totally see how that could create emotional pain and that that could eventually manifest as a mental breakdown and hurting their mental health or an actual physical illness. But as far as I go, there have been so many times where I do listen to my intuition, and I would love to ask you a little bit more about that whole idea of listening to your intuition, but I listened to my intuition. I parted ways with somebody that I really loved, and ever since then, I've been sitting with extraordinary pain, and some days it's not so bad, other days it is, and I used to be in a place where I thought, how do I get rid of this pain? I want to let it go, and now I've evolved into a place of how do I live with this pain? How do I be with this pain? And so I'm kind of curious, like, what about the opposite when you listen to your intuition and you still have extraordinary pain? And how does that play into all of this, including the whole dynamic of eating? Yeah, I mean, this is this is such a great question. Living an aligned life and operating from intuition does not exclude us from pain. In fact, at, at times it moves us into pain. And I know this is people are like, okay, this is crazy. Like, I don't want to do this. But what we have to realize is how do we grow? Like, if, if we go to the gym... And and we just we just like sit there on the bench and That's we don't me. have resistance. <laughs> we don't have resistance pushing against us. We can't grow. And the same thing happens with 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 our emotions and and how we live. It's like for us to get stronger, like the pain that you're going through right now, Ash, as 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 painful as it is, it is actually doing something for you. You know, there's there's a there's a level of growth and it's a catalyst for you to up level into the next version of you. And so when we can, again, going back to this whole changing our relationship to pain, when we can welcome that in the body and go, okay, this is really heavy. This is super painful. And I know at the end of this, this is going to feel lighter and I am going to feel stronger. Mm-hmm. When we can do that, then then we're like, okay, cool. Like this pain is happening for me in perfect timing for a very specific reason. 
then when, when we change our relationship to pain, we can become more intuitive because we get to this place where we're like, you know what, even if this decision drives me into a challenge, that's my soul. That, that's what my soul is choosing. My soul is choosing to go through this challenge so that it could grow and I could become a better version of myself or a, or a more aligned version of myself. And so it's, it's the same thing with, 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 with food and intuition. We, I don't think logically about my food choices ever, ever. Like I never do. And for me to even say that is like hearing myself say that, I'm like, Oh I, I can remember a time where I literally would spend 80% of my time planning meals, counting calories, weighing my food, having ca- like those calorie counter apps, those like electric leashes that like make sure like you don't Electric leashes. And- oh my God. That's excellent. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. And, and, and now I, I, I just really don't think about it. I'm like, I'm like, cool. Like I'll, I'll eat a sandwich here. I'll do like, I'm like, Hey, what do I want to eat right now? Like sometimes I wake up in the morning and I just like, I'm not hungry till one o'clock and I'm like, okay, well I'll eat, I'll eat then. And I used to think like, Oh my God, if I don't eat, then my metabolism's going to get halted and then I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to gain weight and, and all this kind of fun stuff. And I was a fitness competitor for a few years and it was, it drove me into the, my obsession and drove me into my disorder even more. And so now you, utilizing my intuition not only serves me with things like friendship and business and my relationship, it's, it's the driving leader and the driving force of my choices with, with food. And so it gives me the, uh, the understanding of how, like how to decipher the difference between what is an emotional hunger cue and what is a physical hunger cue. Mm, this is so helpful. And I would love to ask you too, like just, you know, briefly for everybody listening, I think intuition can be confused with fear. Like, is this a message mm-hmm. telling me not to do something because I'm scared or is this an intuitive message letting, alerting me that something isn't right for me? So what what do you do in yourself to access your intuition for everybody listening, whether it relates to the relationship with food or anything else? I want to go back slightly because I think you asked a, you you alluded to a very important point that I just want to like pull out quickly. Let's do it. I get this question all the time. What's the difference between a visceral no in the body and and fear? Yeah. And I, I've never been in anyone else's body, but I can explain it. I'm going to explain it how I experience it and how I feel it. So when I'm experiencing a visceral no in my body, it's a lot deeper in my stomach. It's like, it's more like guttural. It's more like it's, it, it's deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when I, when I feel that I don't notice any negotiation with my mind. Like my mind isn't going like, should you, should you, like there's no negotiation. It's just very like, boom. it's like a very clear no versus fear, which I experience as anxiety, fear. I experience as like up in my chest, mm-hmm. in my solar plexus and in my chest and it's fluttery and it's chaotic and it's almost panic. And when I'm in that state, that's when my mind is going but should you, should you not? What if you do that? I don't know if you can do that. Could you handle it? What if you're not good enough? That's when like the, the negotiation and the, the, the fear and the, and the, and the self-talk and the criticalness, that's when that part of me is like super activated. And so it's true. It's really about, um, feeling, feeling out these two sensations, right? Like what we have to realize is at any given time, there are so many sensations in our body that are, 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 firing off and happening and we have to have awareness around what means what. So I'll give you an example. So 
a, a physical hunger cue is one sensation, right? That feeling of hunger. We all know what that feels like, right? We're, we're, we are so much more familiar with physical sensations than we are with emotional and intuitive. So that would be like an example of like a physical sensation. Then we have an emotional sensation, which would be um, like anxiety, for instance, right? That like fluttery and uh, I'm, I'm guessing um, most people know what, what that feels like. And then we have our intuitive, which is not as developed. And, and for me... And an intuitive yes feels like it's like this lightness. I can feel my heart getting activated. My heart feels warm. It feels like, like, like opening two big doors out into an ocean. You know, that feeling of just like, ah, like a breath of fresh air. And then that visceral no feeling, it's not similar to anxiety. It, It is just this like density, this like, it's almost like a dropping in my mm-hmm. system. And so, so, so what I do to develop that and to develop the relationship to these two parts is I, I, I ask my, I ask myself questions. I ask myself questions. I go, I go, is my name Sam? Do I live in San Diego? Am I 29 years old? Do I love Ashley Stahl or whatever it is? <laughs> like, like ask myself questions that are definite yes questions. Hell yeah, that's questions. a yes, girl. Hell yeah. <laughs> Am I good at parking? No. Oh my gosh, guys. <laughs> if you've seen Sam Skelly try to park her car. <laughs> I can't park a car to save my life, but I really love Ashley, okay? <laughs> um, and then I'll ask myself definite no questions. Just, just really to feel into that feeling of like, okay, this is a visceral no feeling. Like, this is what a no feels like. And then I go back and forth and I go like, hey, that's a yes. And that's a no. That's a yes. And that's a no. And then I start to use it with, with, with things in my external world. Like, should I have this cheeseburger? And just feel it out. Like, your body will literally tell you what's good for it and what's not, what isn't good for it. But for people who say, I don't have an intuition or I have no access to my intuition, we do. We are all intuitive beings. It's just an underdeveloped muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Just like when people say, I don't trust myself. You, you have the ability to. You just haven't practiced it yet, right? Like, I don't know how to, I don't know, it's a sport I can't do. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to steam my wrestle. I can. I just never have. <laughs> that would be so interesting to me. Oh, my God. I would I would pay so much, Sam, to watch yeah. you just sumo it up. Hey, I'll do it for you. I smell a, a Halloween costume coming for us. Oh, sumo wrestlers. Um, okay, so how to overcome emotional eating. First is changing your relationship to pain. What I heard on you when you said that was just getting curious about what it's really about and getting yeah. curious about how you can give that feeling, sensation, or desire, mm-hmm. or that longing to yourself. Yeah. And by the way, I think that applies to relationships, like for people who are thinking about cheating. I think it's like, okay, if you're longing for something in your relationship and you're seeking it out in someone else, yes, you could break up, but otherwise, get curious. What are you longing for? What it's really yeah. about? Uh, because you think it's a person, but usually it's some sort of longing that you think this other person is going to give you. Same thing mm-hmm. with food. So, And then the second thing yeah. you said was understanding visceral intelligence to overcome mm-hmm. emotional eating. What does this mean? Yeah, so it, it, it's like the difference between all of these sensations like we were talking yes. about. Like having, the, having the intelligence to know viscerally. What does this sensation mean? What does this physical sensation mean? What does this intuitive, you know, I call it a hunch, like an intuitive hunch mean? What is this activation in my chest that's like panicky and feels awful? Like, what is, what does that mean? Like, what are, what are, what do all these things, these, these things mean? And how can we develop a relationship with them so that they don't, you know, take us down, but we, we can just like, 
understand what they need, right? Like, like we all know what our body needs when it ha- when it when it's physically asking us for something. Like, we are all so familiar with, with what with what that needs. And so, the same thing with like emotions and an intuition. Like, just getting clear of like, what does this mean? Like, what is this asking of me? And and I love when you 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 talked about curiosity because that is that's truly what it's about. Like, so often we immediately go into judgment, right? We, we feel something and we, we judge ourselves. So if we have anxiety, we say we shouldn't feel anxiety. Or if we, if we, it's like a visceral no, and it's like to go to this party and it's a visceral no, we're like, I'm just, whatever, I'm just, I'm just going to ignore that and go, go anyways, right? Or, or yeah. whatever it is. And, and like we, we, in order, in order for us to like live lives of like intuitive aligned lives, we, we have to understand how our bodies are speaking to us because they are complex and they, they are chaotic. And when we don't have the awareness around it, it can it can translate into just like wanting to get out of our bodies and wanting to numb our bodies, which is how, unfortunately, the majority of the world is living in this state of just like numbed out confusion. So let's say, you know, like, for example, um, at my ghostwriting company over at Cake Publishing, I had to hire a new ghostwriter. I was looking for a chief ghostwriter. I had a certain salary on my budget um, based on our clientele and what I thought was right to pay somebody. And somebody came in and I loved her, but she was way out of the salary range that I felt comfortable. And so there's like this weird tug and pull of me really wanting to hire her. But I felt extraordinary anxiety on my heart at the thought of having to stretch the company to pay the salary she wanted. Yeah. So it was like a huge yes, no chaotic vibration. So what would you have told me if you were sitting with me and I was sitting in the anxiety of like, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Mm. Well, as humans, we're incredibly resourceful. So I would, it, it takes a, it takes a process, right? It takes a ritual to be like when the fear is removed, what all, what all remains and that's the truth. And and oftentimes it doesn't make sense to our logical mind. Like like logically paying someone like 30, 40% over what you can actually afford logically, that doesn't make sense. But when your body is so called into that, there's a reason why. And this is what I'm learning time and time again of like there's a reason why that happens. Just trust that that's the right decision because as – as humans, we are incredibly resourceful. Like, you, if you stepped up your game and paid someone what you were uncomfortable with paying her, you would get resourceful and find a way to to bring the resource resources from another way. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and 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 living in that state and putting ourselves on the line often calls a higher version of ourselves. It calls a more a more committed, resourceful um, part of us. And so I, I actually funny we were talking about this because I, I went through this two weeks ago. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't know if we've talked since then, but I like literally burnt down 50% of my company, but kept all my expenses and all of my team. And so I got to this place where I'm like, logically, this doesn't make any sense at all. There's no logical sense why I, I, I did that because from a financial point of view, every point of view, I should have kept that product on the market because it made financial sense and yada, yada, yada. However, my intuition was literally screaming at me to say, you cannot do this anymore. Like this is draining you. You have to stop doing it. And so it got to a place where I was like, okay, full trust and surrender. All right. I'm going to destroy 50% of my company, take away 50% of my revenue while keeping my expenses the same, which puts us into a deficit, Mm -hmm. obviously. But now I get to create how I'm going to bring in the rest of that income in a more aligned way. And in order to do that, it, 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 it requires like self-trust you know it requires like this ability to be like all right this is how much money that i need to make up per month for the next four months until we hit our next launch how can i do that and 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 
where can I find that from? And, and how can I create something that's more in alignment? And so this space, although it's like there's there's a little bit of fear, it feels way more aligned versus stick, staying with something that I knew was not serving me and I knew was draining my soul. And my soul was literally like, stop being a dick. <laughs> stop doing this. You know, it's so funny. It's kind of like everybody's listening. It's like YOLO, but be practical. And for you, you're saying YOLO, but just do it. And so some people I think are cut out for that kind of stress, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm going to abandon half of our product line because I want to keep this team and put myself into a deficit and get motivated. But I know that there's other people that that would crumble them. So how do people gauge what their limits and their boundaries are when it comes to taking intuitive risks? Mm. you know and also being clear on who they are baby you know what it is everyone has the i i really do believe everyone has the ability to put themselves on the line they just have not if they if that feels crumbling and like there's no way i could ever do that because i used to be like that with everything in my life i had to practice it and i started with like really really small things like i trust myself to not overeat today or I trust myself to make my bed every single week or I trust myself to um whatever it was like small things like go to go to yoga or or um whatever right and I I I developed my my trust muscle then it got to bigger things like you know I mean me moving to San Diego is like a perfect example logically it didn't make any sense I'm Canadian I had like a house and a car and my family and all of my belongings and my business and et cetera, et cetera. Everything was in Canada. I had nothing down here, but there was this intuit. My, my intuition was like, get rid of everything and move down there. And I'm like, wait, what? That makes no sense. But it was so strong and I couldn't ignore it. And now that I'm down here, I'm watching it all unfold. I'm like, ah, this makes perfect sense. However, like I, I needed to practice that because if, if for someone who has no, um, ability to trust themselves and they don't have access to, to their intuition, it's like a little bit challenging, right? And I, I was in that space for so long. Yeah. So long. And today, today it is still a constant practice. Like, like I'm, you know, it scares, it, it scared me shitless to do that to my company. And, it, and it's like, but my belief in it working out was just a little bit higher than my fear. Mm. The fear was not gone. Mm-hmm. And I also think you've made a good point is that it comes, your ability to hear your intuition in a long, in the long term, it really comes down to self-trust, being able to trust what you're hearing and trust yourself and trust your own wisdom. Yeah. Because if you have intuitions coming at you, but you don't trust yourself, of course you're not going to listen. So exactly. um, what do you think are some ways for everybody listening that, they can apply to start trusting themselves better. Mm-hmm. Micro decisions, like we gotta start small with this stuff, right? We most of us have this mo of like I just don't trust myself at all. Create situations for you to show up and trust yourself. In a situation where you maybe would let yourself down, or you would make a promise with yourself and break it, like cre- we need to we need to create the evidence, right? Because evidence creates confidence. Once we have the confidence, then we'll be able to do bigger things, and we'll be able to take more risks, and we'll be able to trust ourselves more. And 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 you know, it, trusting yourself, it, we have to realize like when we trust ourselves it doesn't mean that it always works out right that's 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 the other thing as well but then we trust that there's a reason why it didn't work out and there's something else you know coming there's something greater that's coming and so so
So start with like small things. Like what are some small, seemingly insignificant things that you can do on a daily basis or, or a couple times a day to just to start to like really start to build that muscle and just go, you know what? When I say something, I can show up for myself and I can do it. Especially with women who have had a history of dieting and a history of overeating. It's like, it's like the common thing of like, I'll do better tomorrow. I'll try harder tomorrow. I'll do it again tomorrow, you know? And it's like this constant, like, breaking agreements with ourselves really takes a toll on our innate self-worth and our ability to, to, to trust ourselves again. So recreate those agreements and start to, like, slowly build up that evidence. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I actually found that in my master's in psychology was that one of the best ways that people can build self-trust is to keep and, and self-esteem is to create commitments and honor them. Um, so I love that. And okay, so how to overcome emotional eating, everybody listening, change your relationship to pain, get curious what it's all about, understand the visceral yeses and nos in your body. Um, and maybe that can come down to doing some exercises to trust yourself, taking some risks to show up for yourself. And then the third thing you said, Sam, before we started recording was really getting clear on what drives us as far as motivation goes. So what's that yeah. about? So we're either motiv motivated by fear or love, right? So we're either, we're, we're motivated because we say, I'm terrified of this happening. I'm going to motivate myself to do something different. Or we're motivated by the journey and by expansion and by, by things feeling good and us stepping into a higher version of ourselves. And so just like asking ourselves, what's my intention for eating, we can ask ourselves, what is my intention for anything that I'm doing? You know, why am I, why, why are we on this podcast? Why are we building the businesses that we're doing? Why are we dating people that we're dating? Why are we taking the trips that we're doing? Like, where is that, what is driving that motivation? And what I know to be true in my own life is anytime I'm driven by fear, I get driven right into a wall and it's really painful. Anytime I'm driven by love, it's like this slow burning sustainability that just keeps on going. And so it's so important for us to ask ourselves, like, if I want to lose weight, what's that driven by? Is it driven by the fact that I don't think I'm good enough and so I'm going to take action out of fear? Or am I doing it because I just want to feel lighter in my body and I want to become the best version of myself? Because the way it's done is so incredibly different. When things are done by fear, we're always like white knuckling our way through. We're always pushing and forcing and trying to make it work versus allowing it to unfold. And so it's so important for us to just, just logically check in and ask ourselves, what, what am I driven by? Where is this coming from when it comes to my relationship with you know, with food or with money or with business or with my relationship with my significant other, whatever it is. <laughs> and I feel also like it's an addiction, like it's, it's an oh, addiction yeah. and it's a comfort zone for so many to be in a survival consciousness where instead of thriving, they're just trying to get by and they're doing that job so that they have it on their resume so that they can get somewhere else and they get caught mm -hmm. in this chasing mm -hmm. this ever elusive carrot of yeah. success that doesn't even exist. So how does somebody who right now is listening and they're thinking to themselves, shit, I'm in my job and I'm just doing it to get somewhere else or I'm in this relationship and I'm just doing it because if I really get honest with myself, I just don't want to be alone or I'm scared of the loss. How do you, what kind of questions can we ask somebody or how can we challenge them to step up into a higher version of themselves and start creating out of love and inspiration? Because 
I really believe that we're all like little cars driving around and you can put different gas in, right? And so one gas is fear of failure. That got me through the Pentagon. That got me in counterterrorism, was afraid of being no one. You know, and ultimately everybody's afraid of not mattering. I think that's why everybody wants to do something in the world fundamentally. And so how do we shift the gas we put in our emotional car and drive around the world to be inspiration? Like what are some things we can do? That's a good question. Such a good question. So it, it it's so interesting because in order for us to perform externally, we have to first touch base with what is the highest version of ourselves. We have to first touch base with the feeling. So we always have to go in before we go out. Always, right? Or else, like, so much of my, like, at the beginning of my career was, like, it was like success sabotage. Like, I'm like, I'm going to prove to you that I can be successful. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't coming from a place of like impact or whatever it was in my first couple businesses. It was always coming from a place. I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. I'm going to show you that I can do it. I'm going to do this. Right. And, and I didn't have any touch with what does Samantha Skelly want? What is driving me? What feels good for me? What direction feels good for me? So in order for us to take action externally, we have to first go inward. Yes. Right? If, if we want to feel better, we have to be better feelers. So we have to feel what is going on? What do I want? What lights up my soul? What excites me? And, and, and oftentimes, like, we don't need to drastically change our entire life to have a little, to have more um, impact or to feel more significant. So often people are like, I'm going to quit my job and move across the world and do all this stuff. It's like your problems are going to go with you because the very thing that created it on this side of the world is going to create it on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, but, but it's so important if, like, if, if we are feeling like we want to experience more, don't look for it externally. Like go within, like feel into it feel all these things that we're talking about. Um, it's, it's, it's just so critical. I see so many people chasing shiny balls from, for, for this like fear of like, I want to be somebody that they end up, you know, draining themselves out and, and, and burning down their businesses and all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's, so important that we start from a place of what is truly authentic to us but we first need to feel it to take any action well you know that makes me think a lot of me because you know it's like my first company making millions and losing millions it's like I think that I was in a lot of integrity when I created it I was super inspired and then Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way I lost myself and so I think that it's also just so important for everybody listening to understand that yes you can get into a flow like state where you're inspired and you're operating out of love but fear can come at any time and it's all about going in and figuring out what that what it's really about and most of the time it's not even a real fear nothing's really actually going to happen it's all made up um so i love what you're saying and then the final piece to overcoming emotional eating is numbing versus healing so i'd love Uh to hear you know you told me that earlier and i'm so curious now how to figure out what is numbing versus what is healing yeah 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 well like i love taking um sort of like activity inventory of my life and asking myself what are the things that I'm doing in my life that is bringing me closer to my highest self and what are the things that is bringing me away from it it's so funny we're having this conversation right now because so my mom a few years ago well no this was like last year my mom like sat down with me and she was like you know Sam you are just so busy you're just so busy. Like you're, you're always working. You're always trying to fill your schedule. You're always go, go, go. And and when I heard of my mom, I was like, mom, whatever. Like, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just building business. Like I'm not busy. Like leave me alone. Even though like 
<laughs> I was triggered because I knew it was true. Mm-hmm. So that was like the first thing, right? And then the second thing was um, Kipton, my, 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 my boyfriend, he's like, he's like, babe, do you have to be like constantly busy all the time? Like you're, you literally fill every single hour you have all the time. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, babe, like it's, it's totally necessary. Like I need to be doing that. And, and then he was like, all right, all right, cool. Like, I'm not going to push it, but, like, I just want to, like, bring that to your attention. Like, it seems like you're just, like, constantly busy doing thing after thing after thing always. And and that was the second thing. I'm like, fuck, my mom said that too. And then yesterday, my business partner was like, dude, you need to, like, not do so much. Like, look at your calendar. Like, this is ridiculous. And and I I had, like, this come to moment, this come to Jesus moment yesterday, and I was like, right, why am I why am I being so busy? Like, where's that coming from? And I didn't realize this, but I was like, fuck, like so much of what I do is driven by the fact that like, it's driven by fear. Like so much of my doing was driven by fear. Like I looked at my calendar. I'm like, that was unnecessary. That was unnecessary. That was unnecessary. Right. Like I looked at all these things that I was doing. Mm. Um, and so that, so that's just like an example of like how I did it in my life of like, I want to have space in my calendar so I can like really start to like heal and I think the the busyness for for me was like a little bit of a distraction Mm -hmm. and it's not it it wasn't it's not like a I've been doing it for the last 10 years but it's like it's like in this last couple months I've just like done done it a little bit more and maybe it was like the anxiety of like the business failing and I'm like oh my god I need to be busy so that I can you know I can I can yeah yeah so like who am I to relax when I just made this big change exactly exactly so it was like this moment of like Oh shit. Okay. All right. I need to, I need to just like be okay with space. Can I be okay with, with space and not distract myself and use the space for like this time of healing? Right. And so, so same thing with, with, with food, like food can, can be filtered under that as well. Like, am I numbing or am I healing? Yeah. Right? It's, Rel- it's so funny as well. It's like, so ironic I- too, because you're like yeah. in your car doing this podcast interview, by the way. So busy, you're doing a podcast in your car, Sam. <laughs> gotcha. Well, no, dude, this is it, right? It's like, it's like I, I just need to, I need my schedule to breathe a little bit so I can tap into like my gifts more because when I'm so busy, it's hard for me to be the, be a healer. Mm-hmm. Girl, you're talking to the right person because I went through this and now I have no problem relaxing and having an airier schedule. The only time you'll find me busy is because I decided to take four weeks off and so I'll have a chaotic week so I don't have to do anything later. Yeah. <laughs> that's like my yeah. kind of busy, but, um, and that's so, that's so interesting that see, I'm at this phase right now with my company where like I have an amazing team and they kick ass and they do so well, but it's like my oh my God, can I actually let go? Can I actually do this? Is this real life? That kind of thing going on. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's. I think that in society, we come from a world where culture discusses, you know, luck. They say, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop or don't hold your breath. Yeah. And so I think we're trained yeah. to be afraid that when things are going well, that they're actually not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is like Gay Hendricks and Big Leap. It's an upper limit problem, right? Like, are we all willing to let things go well and be easy? Uh-huh. Totally, girl. It's 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 just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's just so fascinating. And so yeah, that's like my biggest work right now is 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 can I be less busy and can I just be more? Can I just be more? Like can I just go on nature walks and not worry about checking my email? Can I just like not have a meeting for one day? Can I just 
you know, just be. And, and so that was, that was just such an interesting thing for me of like, oh my God, yeah, this was driven by, this was driven by, by numbing, you know, like, oh, I, I don't want to feel the fact that this move that I did was a little bit scary, even though I know it's right based on my intuition. So now it's like the other side of it of like, can I be okay and just fully, 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 fully trust. Mm, and that is so challenging. And so how do you heal? So the, obviously we can see the numbing there and making a huge risky decision that feels in alignment with your intuition, but then having to be with it. And so yeah. we, we can see how it's tempting to numb and to get really busy so you don't have to really be with the fear. But what about healing? Like, how do we do that? It, for me in this particular situation, it's me taking time and being alone sovereignty just being alone and being with my being with all parts of me looking like doing mirror work and just looking at myself doing breath work and feeling my body like really just like being on my own and just listening to what is next and listening to like what is needing to come through like even me saying that my heart is like finally figure this out like <laughs> right and so that for me is like the next stage versus trying to hustle for my worth and hustle to get there and hustle to do it quickly. It's just the state of being like, I'm going to let go and trust and surrender and listen to the universe and listen to like whatever is speaking to me to, to allow myself to be divinely guided in the right direction, which does come from this very deep intuitive place. Like I can't figure that out in my logical mind. Like I can think about what would make sense from like a business point of view and I can take action out of fear, but I don't want to do that anymore. Like with, with pause. And it's so funny that like I named my company pause because it's like, mm -hmm. this is the lesson that I'm learning right now is like how to truly pause. It, it's pause is forcing me to pause. And it's so interesting. It's like, I already feel, I feel like everything I create is like an entity and it's, it's, it's coming through me to teach me something and hungry for happiness was, Oh my God, like the lessons that hungry for happiness gave me are just incredible and continue to give me lessons. And, and I feel like the, the lessons from pause, although it's not in its fullest version yet, it's already teaching me something like the energetic body of the entity is already teaching me. Mm. things. It's, it's really, really cool. So. Well, I, I know that like, even though we're wrapping up right now, I feel like because you're moving into breath work, I know we probably don't have time to tell everybody, how to do breath work but I would love to hear like why is it so powerful and why should people consider it because I'm sure that people can come find you and learn more about breath work as well yeah for sure so I'll give you I'll give you the the short of the long so so I I truly believe like for, for, for us to raise our consciousness and, and become the highest version of ourselves, we have to feel. And oftentimes the mind blocks us from feeling because of the, all the stories and conditioning we have it. It's not safe. I can't feel this. My body's gonna, um, I'm gonna overwhelm myself. All, all this, all these stories, right? And so what the breath does when we do it in a very specific and intentional way is we bypass the mind and we go right into the body so we i've worked with men who literally have not felt for 40 years and within 90 minutes they're like holy shit i can feel every single emotion and so the power of breath work is it's it's instantaneous we're not using any we're, we're getting ourselves into an altered state of consciousness through nothing but our, our natural breath like all we're not using any substances or anything at all but the ability to like get into our bodies quickly and start to feel quickly creates this like deep like knowing and so it is the most i, I truly believe and i've i've experimented with with all sorts of healing modalities i truly believe that breath work is the next big thing in terms of transformation so wow and what does it do to the brain like what is actually happening on a scientific level 
So it hyper uh, oxygenates the brain. So you get more oxygen in the brain and it activates the frontal cortex to allow ourselves to feel things like self-compassion and self-love and, and calmness. And it, it just, it releases the, the emotional junk in our system. So when we have like so much anxiety, our brain is activated into fear, right? We got to protect ourselves. We got to protect ourselves. But when we clear that emotionality and we, we calm down our brain, we get ourselves into a state of neutrality. And so that's what it's doing scientifically, but then spiritually, there's a whole other spiritual reason why breathwork is is powerful. Oh my gosh. Okay. So where can everybody find you to learn more about breathwork and Hungry for Happiness? I would say the best place would be Instagram, just at Samantha Skelly. Um, I'm super active with my DMs. If you guys have questions on anything food and body related or anything uh, breathwork related, just shoot me a DM. I love connecting with you guys there. Hungryforhappiness.com is is kind of the house of all of our emotional um, emotional eating and all that kind of stuff. We have a we have a certification program where we certify people in our formula to coach our our philosophy. So it's all there. Oh my gosh, Sam! I'm having a really strong intuitive hit, and I need to share it with you right now. I feel like I just realized, like, why are we waiting for Halloween to wear sumo wrestler outfits? And do we think we would get arrested if we walked around Santa Monica in matching sumo wrestler outfits for a random spa day? Absolutely not. Can I buy them right now on Amazon? There's ones that actually blow up and they turn you into, like, a huge balloon. Can Sam, I buy them? Yes, I'll you can buy it. And okay. wouldn't that, would that not light you up as much as me? Because I feel like we need to okay. run around like sumo wrestlers and then go get, like, a spa treatment. Okay, I. You are talking dirty. You're talking dirty to me now. Kippen's gonna be like, he's, he, you, you, you outscored him today. Girl, you're the best. You are just such a treat. Thank you so much for being on here. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me, girl. I so appreciate you. Hey there, it's Ashley Stahl, and I am reporting to you from my flat in Paris. Um, just a tiny little flat and sitting here alone thinking about emotional eating. Um, I think that if, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll notice I have a whole reel called Snacksidents. And it's really funny. I, as an entrepreneur, I've somehow made my way into a group of friends who are really focused on wellness. And for some reason, I've always noticed that I like to kind of taunt them with the fact that I love cupcakes and eating shitty food. And I've come to know them as my snacksidents. And everybody always jokes that you should create a cookbook, Ashley, called Ashley Snacksidents. <laughs> um, but what I've noticed is that it's almost a defense mechanism, having my snacksidents and taunting everybody with the shitty food I eat, you know, because they're all sitting there with their wellness food and I'm sitting there with a cupcake like, na 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 na, you guys got to live it up. I have the, be- I had the belief that eating shitty food, and I know this is crazy, was a sign of me living well. And I know that that doesn't make sense, but for those of you, it's almost like me having the freedom to eat that piece of cake or that brownie was showing other people that I'm an easygoing, fun person who can live well and relax and not think about things. And I had the belief that if I watched what I ate, that I was somebody who was uptight, not living, and just not, you know, in flow with the universe. And that's something that has recently really changed for me because the past, you know, three, four months, my sister passed away. I had a cold for two months and 
every time I've traveled, I've gotten sick from the airplane. And I've been getting these face rashes that I didn't really know what to do with. And after a series of going to the doctor, I got an allergy test and realized that I was allergic to milk, all forms of milk, goat milk, sheep milk, cow milk, all of it. And also eggs and almonds. So that basically means cake, (laughs) anything that's made with milk and eggs, all my favorite things, cookies. And it's been really confronting to look in the mirror and realize that this identity I've held for myself, being Ashley with her snacks, it's like funny Ashley who rolls into the party and grabs all the snacks and everybody rolls their eyes and is like, how does she do it? How does she stay slender and eat all this shit? And it's turned me into somebody who has to really take a look at who I am and what I value. And I never would have thought my relationship with food would ask these bigger questions, but they do. And they not only ask those questions, but they ask you to take a look at where you're numbing yourself or where you're having addictive behavior. So I want to talk about that too. I find that a lot of people have addictive behavior that they are not aware that they have. So, for example, the addictive behavior could be in sex, it could be in money, it could be in food and how they're eating, it could be in, you know, really anything, uh, drugs, of course. And really, the concept of addiction is based on this feeling of needing something and needing it consistently. And I've noticed in my social circle with all these entrepreneurs that they use food to live. They don't live to eat. They eat to live well. They eat to be aware. They eat to be focused. And for the past, you know, years of my life, years and years, I've always felt a bit brain foggy, slower, tired. And I've always wondered, why does everybody have so much more energy than me? Even though I work really hard, I'm sometimes pushing through. Whereas everybody feels like they're being pulled, like they have energy and it's pulling them in a direction. And so it's been really recent that I've had to stop with my snacks and start eating that, you know, well-balanced diet. Um, that means more vegetables, more clean meats, more green juice. Um, I, I came up with a morning smoothie. So if you want the ingredients for that, it's totally changed my life. You can just DM me at Ashley Stahl on Instagram and I'll send you the ingredients. It's been an amazing smoothie that's given me a lot of energy through the day. But but I've had to be with myself, and it's been really painful. And so whether you're struggling with addiction to shopping, money, drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever, you'll notice that when you stop giving yourself that scratch to that itch, that you have to sit with some very uncomfortable feelings that you've been avoiding all along. And so the question I want to ask you right now is where do you feel like you might have some addictive behavior? Are you addicted to sugar? Are you addicted to coffee? Are you addicted to alcohol? Um, Love? Oh my gosh, so many people are addicted to love. Serial monogamists who end up in relationships that aren't actually a fit for them, but they just want love versus really having the intention of bonding and finding the right connection for them. So asking yourself, where do you feel like you might be a little bit addicted or a lot of bit addicted? And if you, A, just start to pay attention right before you dive into that addiction. So if it's food, right before you grab that, you know, if you're me, that piece of cake. Um, If it's drugs, right before you grab that drug. If it's love, you know, when you're dating, like, what are the thoughts that are going through your head right as you're grabbing for that addiction? Just start to notice. What is it about for you? What are you thinking? 
Uh, or, and if you can't figure out your thoughts, what do you feel right before you do it? Is it a need? Is it a suffocation? Is it a desire for relief? And then I would start to be with the question, and you don't have to force the answer on yourself. Just be with it. Why do I feel like I'm grabbing for that so desperately? What is it doing for me? And the second step is not grabbing for it, sitting with yourself and resisting it and, and starting to pay attention to what comes up for me when I don't give in. What are the thoughts? What are the feelings? Is it desperation? And then the third question is, where has this come from in my life? When did I start grabbing for this? What was that moment where this started to feel like the thing that felt like a relief? And the more that you can question that, the more connected you can get to yourself. Because more often than not, these small or big addictive behaviors are just avoiding, helping us avoid feeling. Because we were taught that pain hurts and it's something to be avoided. But what I've found is that pain is a messenger and it can help you grow and learn more about yourself than almost anything else. In fact, I think the two biggest catalysts for personal transformation are love, real love, or loss, true loss. And if that's the case, those are both real pain, you know. Um, so I want to invite you to take a look at where are you addictive and what happens when you don't give in. And it doesn't mean you have to stop it. It doesn't mean you have to let it go from your life. But it does mean that you can get curious and start to go on a quest um, of having this experience of who you are without the thing and what comes up for you when you don't give it to yourself. I noticed for me that my addiction to food um, was from a young age when my dad lost his company we were all really stressed but the one thing he would spend on was food and so I always looked forward to that time with my family um, and it always felt like kind of a relief like we weren't in restriction in those moments we were in a lot of restriction in our house about money about you know what we could afford but when he went out to eat he really went for it so I let myself go for it too and that was where I started to associate food with freedom release relief um, and I've really started to question that because what I'm finding is that when I eat things I'm allergic to, it's really imprisoning. It's not release. I'm not living better. I'm living worse. And so I started to, to challenge my beliefs. Am I really living well by having this cupcake? Because it makes my brain foggy. It makes me really disoriented. And I can't think. Or maybe, you know, in, in freshman year of college, I gained the freshman, I think it's the freshman 15 is what people talk about. I gained the freshman 25. So if it was a marathon, I really ran that one. I gained a lot of weight freshman year of college. It took me two years as a jogger to lose it because I couldn't restrict food that much. I had to really um, do a lot of moderation. But it's been a really emotional journey for me to stop, you know, grabbing off the shelf for the things that I love and start being with myself and questioning the beliefs that I'm a more free, fun individual by eating these things. Um, and maybe you are, um, but for me, they make me sick. I've been getting sick from them and to go to the doctor and to be told how severe my allergies are and to be told what the symptoms are, that I get brain fog, that I'm disoriented, that I almost feel drunk, that I don't sleep well, that my whole body's inflamed, that I can't breathe through, as well through my nose. I've really started to shift my life and it's been really hard because food has been such a source of joy for me. So I want to invite you to look into your addictive beha behaviors. I was going to say patterns, but patterns, behavior patterns. And really start to see where you can ascend and where you can use them to look at yourself more deeply and grow. All right, this is Ashley Stahl signing off, sending you so much love. And again, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Ashley Stahl if you want um, for me to send you my ingredients for my morning smoothie that I love so much. Thanks again for tuning 
into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. You can find all of the resources that our guests mentioned on our show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com. Also, don't forget, on the website, we've got our four free e-courses, whether you want to land a new job you love, get clarity on the best career path for you, launch your dream business or deepen your romantic relationships. I'll talk to you soon. Can't wait to connect on next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.